Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. I, uh, you know, I just love getting to do this with with my brother here, Brandon Stiver, and um, we got another great show for you today. Not surprising. Um, we have amazing people that we get to interview from all over the world. Today is no exception. So, Brandon, um, first of all, how are you doing? Um, we've had a lot of stuff going on over the last few months, and and uh, you know, I, I know it's no different now. So, so what's going yeah. on in your world? I'm doing well, man. I I just got back from Colorado uh, this past week, which was a lot of fun. Got to do road trip dads. Uh, We had Andrew Schneidler on the podcast, however long ago. Uh Um, Andrew's Andrew's a friend, super fun guy, super real. Um, Got to go uh, hike some mountains with with Andrew and Mike Berry, who's been a friend and a a person on the podcast, and then a pastor from Texas named Jason Morris. And uh, just got to connect with some with some great guys. Um, as many of our listeners know, I'm an adoptive dad and, um, I get the joys of that as well as the, the challenges therein. And it was such a refreshing, uh, time to just connect with other guys where they have the same baseline as you, you know? Um, so, and getting to do that in such a beautiful spot, like, uh, the mountains around Colorado Springs, um, it was just, it was a blessing, man. It, it was, it was so good to, to connect with those guys and, and shout outs to Andrew and, uh, Andrew Schneidler and Mike Berry and Jason Morris and for putting on a great time. So yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling, I'm feeling heard. I'm feeling refreshed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling built up. So it was, yeah, uh, yeah I'm doing well, bud. How about no, you? That's man? awesome. That's yeah. awesome. To, I, I know we, I think I, I, Either I probably talked to Mike and Andrew both about at that when we when I interviewed them and I know Andrew for sure we talked about that and they they had mentioned at the time um, they've probably rescinded it since but that I could be an honorary adoptive and foster dad to come out to that and hang out with you guys at some point but you know I haven't received that in, uh, invite again so I'm I think I, I probably lost it somehow but that's okay maybe maybe one of these days I can I can just maybe crash the party um, we and, we would love to have you it was. So- it was it was a it was a lot of fun. Uh, we got to do some games. We got to do some hiking, and just have good, honest yeah. conversations. It was awesome. And and I will say there was a game of trivial pursuit among multiple men, and in true Stiver fashion, because that was my family game, I took home the crown. So oh, good, good work. Until good until work. until yeah. until next road trip, I am uh, sitting atop the <laughs> trivial pursuit uh, mountain. I have a great trivial pursuit story I will not share right now, but um, anyway, but the, I think most dudes do have a great trivial pursuit story and all the women behind us are going, I don't like that game, which is why we typically don't play it at my house. So, um, but uh, I actually got to go to a cool men's retreat over the weekend uh, oh, no as way. well, a different one at Mount Hermon. Uh, Chris Brown, who's a pastor down at North Coast uh, Church down in San uh, Vista, is phenomenal storyteller. He went through Mark eight through ten, and it was it was an amazing weekend with some some great men um, at one of my favorite places in the world. So um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. So it was. It sounds like we both were uh, were refreshed and uh, encouraged uh, over this past weekend, and so hopefully we'll be able to continue that encouragement as we have this conversation today. So tell us about our guest and uh, and uh, what you know you get to do a little bit with the, with this guy too. So just tell us about who we get to talk to today. 
Yeah, I get to do quite a bit with this guy. So uh, we're excited to have Jonathan Dowell uh, on the show today. Uh, he's been a part of a, a couple smaller things that I Think Orphan has done here and there. But um, Jonathan Dowell is the executive director of Weza Care Solutions uh, based in Kasumu, Kenya. So uh, a lot of people know Jonathan from his background with Agape Children's Ministry, which has been you know, a premier direct services provider um, based out of there in Kenya. Um, through partnering with, with our organization with One Million Home, uh, Jonathan was able to uh, branch off uh, and uh, start Agape Model Solutions, which is now known as Weza Care Solutions. But what we're going to get to talk about today is, is all about uh, how is children's care changing and transforming in Kenya and the specific role that, that Jonathan and his team of you know, two dozen Kenyans get to really drive on all these different fronts. And, and I'm excited for this conversation because um, while we have had like some friends and partners uh, uh, that have come on here that, that we get to work with, um, this, is, this is one of our own team members um, at One Million Home. So uh, it's awesome to have uh, Jonathan on uh, the show today and looking forward to uh, getting into it. Well, Jonathan Dow uh, coming into us on Zoom today, all the way from Kisumu, Kenya. Uh, welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast, man. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, uh, Jonathan, uh, you don't need any introduction to me uh, as, as you've been one of my favorite people to collaborate with and work with and be on the same team with. Um, but for some of our audience that, that maybe haven't heard from you before um, or aren't familiar with your background, we would love if you just uh, took a moment to just uh, introduce yourself and, and share how God led you into this uh, place of working with uh, orphaned and vulnerable children. Yeah, so uh, I'm Jonathan Dowell. I'm the executive director of Weza Care Solutions. And as you said, I live in Kenya uh, with my wife, Andrea, our two kids, uh, Madison and Sophia. Um, and, uh, you know, we didn't really have a trajectory in life that would lead us to this. You know, I was in IT. Uh, Andrea was a eighth middle school uh, science teacher. And so I, I like to think that God kind of tricked us into this. <laughs> um, we had, when we got married, we, we wanted to do a uh, kind of a God adventure is what we called it. And, you know, we wanted to go and serve overseas. We wanted to kind of, we put before God just said, we'll go anywhere. We'll do anything you want. Um, but we'd prefer Africa. And so that's, that's kind of where it started a, a two-year journey. And um, yeah, now it's been almost, almost a decade. And I think if he would have told me up front what he had in plans for us, I, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed him. Yeah. And when you first went out there, you were working with, um, with one organization and then got connected with our, with our friends and longtime partners doing great work at Agape Children's Ministry. Maybe you can just share a little bit about your professional background over that last 10 years. Yeah, so um, yeah, we, we started off at another organization and uh, then, then switched over to Agape after uh, finding ourselves homeless in Kenya for a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, we spent most of our time at, at Agape dealing with kind of the back end of things. Um, I really spent most of my time in, in the child welfare department working with social workers on um, follow-up visits to children that had been re reunited with their families, um, dealing with kind of the social work side of things. And, and Andrea was working on all of the rehabilitation programs counseling and, and spiritual care and, and academic support um, on campus. And so, yeah, most of that time we've spent just kind of behind the scenes, administrative work, uh, spreadsheets and, and program design and development. Yeah, so 
you know, Jonathan, a lot of what you guys are doing is, and we talk about this on the show a lot is care reform, right? Yeah. And, and you're, you're working toward that goal in Kenya. So, you know, first of all, I want to just hear in your words, you know, what, what is care reform? First of all, I mean, we throw around a lot of words in our, in our, you know, orphan care jargon and lingo that some people listening may not know what the heck we're talking about. So that's the first thing. And then what, what is that environment uh, for care reform in Kenya looking like right now? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I, I think care reform is, is really about learning and growing and changing as a society. Um, you know, we, it's, it's, it's kind of a word that to me is a little bit short-sighted, you know, because it, it really thinks about the next change. Um, but the reality is that we're a part of ongoing change, you know, for, for decades or for hundreds of years before us and will, will happen after us as well. Um, so we'd like to talk about charity support. Um, care reform is, is a little bit shorter sighted, I think, um, in terms of what we need now, which is a change. And that's true. Um, but um, there's going to be a change after that, too. There's, mm -hmm. there's no real end to continuous growth and improvement. Um, and in Kenya, it's actually a really exciting time. I think um, care reform can be a scary thing. Uh, and, and it is really exciting for me, at least, um, to be watching the kind of government laying the foundation um, to see um, organizations going through the, like, the identity crisis of, of, well, maybe we are doing something that we shouldn't be doing, or maybe there's something better that we could do. Um, and, and so I, I find it exciting and thrilling. I'm, I'm someone who loves continuous improvement and growth. Um, that's kind of my, part of my background as well. And so when I see you know, organizations and individuals you know, thinking about growing and changing and being better at what they do, um, I just get really excited, um, but it can be scary too, because, you know, what's at stake here with kids' lives, uh, families, you know, uh, one mistake, you know, one child that is uh, falling through the gap, um, that's a huge, huge cost. And so it is scary at times um, that we really need to be conscientious and careful, intentional about the way we do this um, to kind of pr protect children. That's number one. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love what you just said about the continuous change and really it's just that humble posture, right? That learning posture that we talk about all the time on the show is it, we, we need to have that, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that that's uh, when you look at the level five leader of Jim Collins, he talks about that professional will, but it needs to be coupled with the humility. Um, and I think that's critical. And I, and I love how you, how you couch that. And, and so, yeah, we say these things like carry form, but really at the end of the day, what it is, is how can we learn? How can we not just, you know, intellectually learn stuff but how can we actually apply it to what we're doing to say there may be a better way than the way we've always done it the way we're doing it and it's harder that way it is hard to do that because the way we do it is usually a lot easier to do for us and it's usually yeah. more it's usually cheaper it's usually because we we have the systems in place but with that you know as you're learning as you're as you're out there with that posture of humility, the posture of learning, and you are seeing stuff. What, what has your team there identified um, really as gaps in the system, in the system overall? And, and what are you doing practically to address those, those gaps? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, first, the first gap I'd say is, is just that um, a lot of organizations are going through almost what, what I would consider, you know, some of our almost be a trauma response to care reform. Um, you know, we see it in our kids that we work with, uh, street kids and, and kids that have suffered from abuse, uh, the fight, flight and freeze, you know, they just, they don't know how to respond. And, and there are a lot of organizations that are actually just frozen, 
they don't really know what to do next, um, or they're ready to fight and they're and they're they're concerned. Um, and so I think the the gap I would describe is just the readiness of of people um, to make change, and that's that's a fundamental ingredient for change is being willing to be able to change. And so we're really working hard to really honor people and the work that they have done and try to, through grace instead of shame, kind of build up some new hope uh, that, hey, you know, you don't need to take every step now, but what's the, what's the next best step you can take to make your organization better? And, and honestly, if that takes them one step away from care reform, I'm okay with that. As long as they're growing, you know, we, we find the fire and we fan it and, and then eventually, they're gonna they're gonna come to find the right way, um, and and controlling people and 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 shaming people and and causing people to feel like they're doing something wrong, um, isn't the best way to inspire change. <laughs> so that's the first gap I think is um, and and the second one is organizations just don't invest in themselves. Um, and I come from corporate America, and and you know no matter how much little of the profits that they are, they do invest in themselves to improve. Um, to grow and to improve their operations and, and finding charities, no matter how big they are, even if they are really well funded, uh, they don't invest in their own capacity. They don't build their own capacity. They don't improve their operations and they're suffering from a lack of staffing and training and knowledge. Um, and, you know, for a number of different reasons, um, you know, whether it's designated funds or donors are not interested in funding operational work or something, but um, yeah, there's this, a lot of organizations are stretched really thin. Um, and so to think about making changes in, a, in time when they're kind of desperately trying to hold on uh, is, is a recipe for, um, you know, people just holding still and waiting for the, you know, the foot to drop instead of really being proactive and feeling ready, like they can make it and they can do it. There's just a lot of hope missing from, from a lot of the organizations on the ground that don't have um, a lot of support. Yeah, you know, and I don't think that's those those gaps. I think apply to a lot of organizations, even outside the nonprofit, um, outside of care reform, outside of <laughs> what we're doing here. Unfortunately, yeah. which I think is why we're seeing a lot of the brokenness um, in our societies. But um, with that, what, one of the things you just talked about uh, implied something that I want to just just hit on right now, which is the importance of working with different agencies at various levels, different agencies, different organizations, um, people at different levels of the, of the system of, of our society to really affect change. Can you talk about that, you know, from, you know, and then also as you're, as you're um, going through that to focus in a little bit more on to what you, what you alluded to, which was the importance of the bottom up, grassroots approach that, um, you know, I personally think is critical, and I know you do too, to what, you know, we're talking about in this affecting systems, um, you know, care reform. Yeah, so um, it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing that, that the system of care in Kenya behaves a lot like, you know, an ecosystem in nature and, and, and works like other social systems in society, whether it's politics or, or economics or other things like that. And, and, so I, I think one of the things we have to recognize from ourselves, you know, first of all, is that we don't, we're not the only agent of change um, and that we can't do things alone, that, that, that system level change um, it has to come from a lot of different organizations and a lot of different people pulling on different leverage points in the system in different ways. Um, and so, you know, the competition that comes up, well, you're not doing it my way, so you're doing it wrong. Well, the reality is, 
you know, the system won't change until we get a lot of different people doing it different ways. And when we recognize that diversity and we allow it to happen, then we'll actually start to see the system organically, um, you know, um, emerge and change and grow in ways that, that we maybe couldn't have predicted. Um, a system really doesn't change when you change the leader. You know, if you just change the president, it doesn't change everything, right? It, the system itself needs multiple leverage points, the different places within the, the layers um, of the system. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, what, what I'm really excited about in Kenya is that um, there are already a lot of people pulling levers, you know, and there, there are a lot of countries out there where there is nobody pulling levers and, and children are, are not getting that kind of attention, but the system is not getting uh, that kind of attention. And in, in Kenya, there's a lot of attention. Um, and I think that's because it's a little bit of a linchpin country in, in East Africa and, and in the world. But um, we really benefit from the, the investment and work that others have done, you know, and we we honestly don't have enough money to work at it from a top down perspective here. At Laza. You know, we we're not we're not we, we're at the bottom. So we start at the bottom. And that's that's our approach. Um, but we can only be successful if there are people doing it from the top down too. I think that's one of the really interesting things and maybe the, the humility of this is that I, we just can't do it alone. And, and if I can play one piece of the puzzle, if I can pull on one lever and, and, and that lever contributes to uh, better care for kids, um, better and stronger families and the reunification of, of children that are separated from their families today, then, then I think we've done our job. Um, I'd love to pull that last lever and get all the credit, right? <laughs> we all do, right? But, but really the reality is the more that we struggle for power and influence and money and all these other things, the more that the system will fight against us. Uh, and I think that's through the, the, we go out into the organizations that don't have support. We go to the organizations that don't have um, help. Um, we go to those organizations that don't have international donors and really help them um, going to the places at the bottom um, that don't get a lot of light. And by supporting them, um, we're reaching, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of children um, through um, those lowly, you know, organizations that are not so exciting or fun, you know, we're not sitting at the table with the big boys, but we're wandering around in the field with the little guys trying to help them to make a difference in the way that they do their work. Um, and I think that's, that's a place where not a lot of people are. And so yeah. I'm, I'm happy to pull that lever. And I'm thankful for those who are in the other parts of the system pulling those levers as well. Yeah, so am I. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that we've kind of been circling around is this idea around systems. And, and this is, I don't think it's just in vogue. I'm a big believer in systems theory myself. And, and I know that it's been um, talked about uh, uh, amongst you know, this conversation, right? Global child welfare global care reform, whatever we want to call this conversation. So, um, and that's something that you and I have talked about, Jonathan. It's something that our, our friend Ian uh, was talking about uh, in our last podcast and shared a great resource. But when we talk about systems change, one of the models that you've used um, to help understand where care reform is at or whatever we want to call this conversation is at in Kenya um, is this two loops model. Um, now, this is, a, this is a systems model that has been used in other spaces as well, but it's something that you, you're also using to kind of frame the work that uh, Waza Care Solutions is doing there. So can you just explain the two loops model a little bit to our audience and then specifically even how it applies in your context of working in child welfare in Kenya? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, systems, systems play such an important role in in how all of nature works, you know, and, and that includes social systems and includes 
you know, the system of care and protection in Kenya with, with the kid, people we work with. Um, I, when I discovered the two loops models, there, there's a lot of different models that try to explain systems theory and, and not just one of them is right, but this one hit me in particular because it, it just seemed to click so well with the concept of, of, of where we're at and, and the changing of um, institutional care to, to family-based care. And the two loops model is like, um, it, it has two loops. One of them, the first one represents an, the old system. That's the dominant system. That's the, the, the majority system and it's on its way out. So it's kind of lived its life cycle and that system is kind of coming to an end. Um, and while that system is coming to an end, another system is starting to emerge. Um, and that, that the, the second loop is really the new system. Um, so in Kenya, you could, you look at the government's, um, you know, kind of deregulation and delicensing of orphanages. And um, you, can, you can look at that as kind of them helping to retire the old system, right? Um, and then there are other organizations who are out there like trying out new models and, and innovating new solutions, new ways to, to care for children and families. Um, and that kind of represents the new system. Um, and what I really loved about this is that one is it, it, the problem with all of this is that the gap between the two systems is where all the danger is. That's where all of the child protection issues are really going to be you know, happening en masse. Um, you know, and, you, and you got the, the danger spot, the gap between the two systems. And then you got the, those who, who really will only try to stay on the first loop. They kind of ignore the next loop coming. Um, they fight, they defend, they ignore, you know, they hide, um, and they kind of don't want to recognize the new system coming. Um, and then there are those who are on the second loop who are, you know, they, they think that the second loop is the only way to do it, right? It's the best way to do it. It's the only way to do it. And they actually, you know, shame the people on the old loop. Um, and, they, and, they, and they actually act as if the old loop is, is evil or bad or, or, or somehow needs to be destroyed. Um, and, and so you find people, they don't want to sit in the gap. I mean, even the system itself wants to collapse the gap because it's an uncomfortable place to be. So what we try to do is we kind of found our place there, like, okay, we're going to mine the gap. Like we're going to sit in between the two systems of care um, and we're going to honor the old system, you know, and we say it a lot with our partners, like, thank you. Like you spent 20 years running this orphanage and caring for these children. Like, wow, uh, many of them following the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? And being obedient to sacrifice their lives and, and to do this work or their money to do this work. And we want to honor that, you know, we really want to um, thank people for that. And, and when we do so, I think I, I've seen people's li eyes light up, you know, they're, they're tired of being shamed. They're tired of being broken. And, and, and so when someone honors them for that, um, you know, they, they really appreciate it. It really unlocks a lot of healing as well in this, in this brokenness and in this transition. Um, but while at the same time we honor the old system, we, we promote the new, the new system. Um, you know, we talk about it. We study it from an academic perspective. We look at the numbers. Um, we, we, we study the new system to make sure that as it emerges, that it's proved, providing the right kind of outcomes. Um, and we promote those things that we find that work and we try to scale them up. Um, so if we find a model that works, man, we want to we wanna promote it and tell people about it and help them. Um, and really building a graceful path of transition from the old to the new. Um, with the humility to know that my kids or my grandkids or whoever will come afterwards to, you know, retire my system, you know, uh, and that, that we're not creating the perfect system, but we're really, we're just mining the gap. Um, is if the gap closes too fast, then children get reunited without preparation and planning and systems of care in place and kids get hurt. Um, and if it doesn't ever close, you know, if it gets extended too long, then, then also kids are, kids are getting hurt. It's dangerous to be in the gap. And, and so we, we try to sit in the gap. We try to mind the gap and to help, um, you know, or, organizations make that transition and encourage those who have 
you know, with the support to help them to really mature that model. Like it, it's one thing to change uh, and do something new, but it's another thing entirely to do it well. And that, that's really where we also like to, um, you know, work with is maturing organizations to help their outputs and their, their efficiencies and effectiveness to increase as they mature and grow. Yeah, no, I, I just love the way that you frame that. And even, you know, obviously, uh, from my own background, having worked at a children's home uh, in East Africa, you know, you don't go into those circumstances thinking like, I'm doing this because I really value family separation, or I really <laughs> want kids to be institutionalized and harmed. Uh, a lot of the people that have been, myself included, you know, uh, have been a part of that uh, previous loop, right? Or that, that mm -hmm. loop that's kind of winding down. Uh, they've been a part of the system with the best of intentions because they have a heart to love and serve children. And that is worth honoring. And, and it's also worth shepherding. And what I see you guys doing at Ways of Care Solutions is really um, not only mining the gap, as you say, and, and trying to make sure that that's a place that is uh, safe and protective of children, um, but you guys are also shepherding those organizations that you guys are working with, which I know is dozens and dozens of organizations there in Kenya that you guys are serving. And you guys are able to operate in that space of, of, um, of shepherding, really, and, and, and guiding them uh, in this what could otherwise be a tumultuous time. So um, I just love your guys' approach with that. And, you know, um, I want to get into to data a little bit, but before I would maybe even just love for you to just kind of share a little bit about the work that Ways of Care Solutions does. Um, you guys have a few different departments there um, that are really kind of focused on that charity support services and and, and how to help other organizations do better. Uh, maybe you just kind of want to uh, jump in and explain a little bit about what you guys are doing specifically and, and the reach that you guys are having um, throughout Kenya. Yeah, um, so we, we really have like four areas we like to work in. Um, some of them are, are older than others or more mature than others. Some of them are emerging. Um, our bread and butter in this is charity support. You know, one-on-one -on -one personal relationships with charities to help them um, you know, grow and, and mature. Um, and that's sending a team out, you know, on, on the road to go visit and to care for and to support organizations, training, mentoring, consulting, uh, those kind of services directly to charities. Uh, the second area we're really interested in, and this comes from the two loops model, is, is, net, is care networks. Um, part of the maturity of the second loop is to start networking those who are doing um, the work. And getting them together into networks so that they can start to learn from each other because like best practices and, and, and communities of practice really emerge from relationship. And so we want to build care networks, you know, at the sub county level, at the lowest level, um, getting organizations working together and overcoming those competitive spirits, um, because we're seeing that, that some real strong support comes um, to the system when people are networked together and work together. Um, the other opportunity that I think we're really just um, stepping into is just direct to the frontline practitioner. Um, workforce development, uh, all of the unemployed people that have left the workforce because of shutting down organizations or charities, uh, COVID-19 because of loss of funding or other things. Um, how, do we, how do we support the workforce and improve the workforce so that they're ready to, to do new models of care and, and that they're ready to operate in um, kind of a field work approach instead of just being back at the, at the, at the compound or the institution? Um, and the last one is, is the applied research side. Like we really, we study first before we teach. You know, we, we learn first before we build. Um, 
And then once we do, you know, we've got a team of software developers building, you know, mobile apps or web apps. We've got, you know, media team writing curriculum to, to really kind of feed the pipeline and nourish the networks, nourish the charities, nourish the workforce. Um, but the tech play, I mean, I come from technology. I'm a technologist. I love, I love technology and I would love to make that the first thing, but really um, this is a relational problem. It needs relational solutions and technology is there just to help it scale, to prove it works and, and to make it more effective. Um, so we, we definitely love to use technology to serve people and serve relationships. And um, so that's kind of how we operate. Um, we're, we've got 47 partners throughout Kenya that are actively going through a transition or have transitioned and are maturing. Um, we've got another 207 or so in the pipeline who've expressed interest and, and want to partner with us and work with us. And so we're trying to increase our capacity so that we can serve more uh, and help more organizations, you know, make a, make a, make a dif difference in the kids' lives. Yeah, no, and that's and that really kind of lends itself to my follow-up question because as you guys are developing these technologies, um, which have kind of like reporting mechanisms developed there within, um, you guys have your um, support team that's working directly to train and provide consultation for these, you know, different organizations that you guys are partnered with, um, and in all of that, you guys are gathering data. Um, you know, and, and we live in the age of data. Um, and yet sometimes in child welfare, we're, we're, we're a little bit of a, a, a lagging, you know, uh, party there within uh, in this in this data um, environment globally. Um, so I would love to just kind of hear what's your guys's take with data? What's the role of data um, within this space? And, and how does Ways of Care Solutions um, utilize it? Yeah. Um, data is really, I mean, it's, it's super valuable. I mean, no matter how you, how you cut it, how you slice it, no matter what industry data is valuable. Um, and, and the lack of data plays more of a role in, in, in care, care reform or in, in this, this sector than, than the data itself. Um, and so even a little bit of data can really be informative. Um, you know, we've been able to see things like um, success rates drop um, um, during the first two years after reintegration. Uh, for some of the toughest cases of street kids, stuff like that, like if we're not following up for two years, like we really could be missing out on a lot of opportunity to keep kids and family, right? The follow-up is huge. And we don't know that unless you measure it and you don't, you know, unless you measure it and you look at the data, you really don't know um, if what you're doing works and if what you're doing is right. And if what you're doing is, is having the impact that you want it to have. Um, and, and so it's kind of like the turning the lights on in the room, you know, data, data just gives you visibility. Um, and so we're, we're helping to build some solutions that are really um, majority world focused, like offline capable forms um, that are printable so that they're still supportable, you know, in a, in a paper-based society. Um, you know, you take paper systems, like every organization that we have come across has paper file systems. Um, the data that's in those files, like, is actually really valuable. It's just not accessible um, or it's too expensive to access it. Um, and so by providing technology solutions like... Um, a digital report uh, writing tool that you can do on your phone. It's offline capable. You fill out the forms, you submit it, you know, and then you print it later and put it in the file, you know, right? But now that's that's gone through a technology um, um, life cycle. So it's got a database and we can look at that data and you can, you can ask questions of the data and you can understand more about what you're doing. So what used to be just a piece of paper and a file system, and I, I've worked with lots of cases, lots of social workers in a lot of cases, those files don't get open very often. Um, more, less often than they should. Uh, and people lose, lose information really from their minds and they just kind of operate based on what they remember. 
And, then, and so the information becomes stale and old and useless and, and being able to make it accessible, usable and accurate um, will in, 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 it will first of all, improve the frontline decision-making of the social workers. That's number one. Um, you don't want a social worker to you know, forget that that was a family we didn't want to, the child to add, you know, that there's dangerous um, child protection issues that get lost because we forget. And um, data helps us to remember that stuff and keeps kids safe. And, and you look at it, the bottom line, social workers making better decisions. That's number one. But number two, organizations making better decisions about how they use their social workers or how they use their programs. And then the nation itself, I mean, the country or the world can learn from data. And that, that's that. Maybe we think it's a linchpin issue in this sector. And so we're trying to build solutions that will help organizations do a better job of data. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've really enjoyed hearing your... Um, you don't just talk about learning. You don't just talk about, you know, having that posture to be able to go out and, and um, really search for the solutions, you know, and, and knowing that we don't have them in our own thing. We can't do it on our own. Um, but with that, it lends itself to our last couple of questions. I mean, I have no doubt, you know, you're, you're seeking these things, you know, right. And so you're, you're seeking to learn. So one of the things we always ask our guests, you've probably heard these questions if you've ever listened mm -hmm. to any episode, but what have you watched, read, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it may be, you know, it may be a little bit too um, on the nose, but you know, I, I've, I've studied the life of Christ for, for a long time. It's been something that like really has been, you know, one of the areas I've been learning a lot in. And there was a point in time you know, in, in this work with kids and families that I realized, like, we're orphaned, right? I, I guess I've heard it before, but I've never experienced what orphanhood looks like in the life of a child, what a vulnerable child looks like, you know, what, what a child who's struggling with drug addiction at the age of 12 looks like, right? I, 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 I've not held that vulnerable child in my hand like I, like I have now. And, and so when I, when I look at that and realize that we're the same, that all of us are orphaned, all of us are vulnerable, and all of us are struggling with brokenness. Like, how can we love anyone with excellence, right? I mean, it's, it's actually miraculous that we even do a good job as parents. And I think we expect to do good, but man, we're, we're, we're orphaned and we're broken, separated from God, our father and the family and the kingdom from each other in, in authentic relationships. Um, we're struggling, we're struggling people, human beings. And I think it just made me realize, like when I look at the life of Christ and the way that he loved us and the way that he sacrificed himself in order for us to have a relationship with him so that we could be reunited with our father, right? Wow, that's family reunification. You know, I've been dabbling in it with, you know, OVC work and street kids, like it's, you know, data on a spreadsheet, you know, cause I'm not out there in the field like the staff. I'm just the admin in the background, you know, crunching the numbers. So it just doesn't become real sometimes, I think, until you really realize that, you know, these kids and, and I are the same. And, and his sacrifice, it makes me want to sacrifice. You know, his humility wants me to enter into this work with humility. And, and the freedom and peace that he gives us as a result of our relationship with him makes me want to give these organizations and these charities, our, our beneficiaries, as much freedom and peace that we can bring to them as possible. Like, um, how do I love orphaned and vulnerable children? By loving my wife, by loving my kids. There's the practice ground right there. Then loving my staff, letting them, you know, and we as an organization, loving organizations. Um, whoever's right in front of us, that's the opportunity we got to take advantage of. 
Um, and so I don't know. I don't know that it's um, maybe a little too on the nose for to talk about Jesus and and uh, that being the the thing I've read and watched that changed my view of how to love orphan and vulnerable children. But yeah, it's been a profound impact on the way that I lead as a manager and the way that I'm as a father. And yeah, I love that. I love it. No, it's absolutely, absolutely true. Um, so with that, outside of Jesus, uh, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Oh, this, this one's an easy one. It's my dad, uh, and it's for cheesy as well. But I got it. My dad just loved me so well. And, and not only loved me, you know, and I didn't not only just experience that, but he actually taught me how to love. And I think that's something that I think is maybe missing in the world right now is we assume we know how to love. The reality is we're not very good at it. And to have some, I had my dad teach me how to love during those moments of difficulty and struggle and um, to really learn how to love. Wow. That was, that was really, uh, made me change my thinking and, and really radically reframe my assumptions about love. Um, Cause it's not what I thought it was and it's not easy and it's not intuitive. It's a lot of hard work and pain and, but the reward is huge. You know, the, the, so yeah, my dad wasn't perfect, but he showed me how to love. I love that too. I love both those answers. Fantastic. Great way to finish up a great interview. Thanks, Jonathan, for uh, taking this time to be with us. And thanks for all that you're doing um, and for uh, just continuing to remind us about having that, that learning humble posture as we go about this work that, we, that we're doing. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Well, that was enlightening. I, I love the opportunity to work with Jonathan. Um, he's so incredibly proficient. He's an excellent manager. Um, and yet humility just exudes. Uh, and, and even there in the final answers, you know, putting, putting it back on, putting it back on Christ and putting it back uh, on his own upbringing. And um, so Jonathan's just such a great guy to work with. Uh, so grateful for the work that he's leading out there uh, in Kenya. Um, Phil, uh, I, I know you know Jonathan as well, um, but what really kind of stuck out to you um, from this interview? Well, I think that he's a guy that, you know, a lot of us can say the right answers, right? You know, we can, we can get on and say, oh, it's important to work with different organizations. It's important to continually be learning. It's important to, you know, use the data and study things and so on and so forth. But you know, this is a guy that I, I've seen it happen. I've seen the work that he's done. I see the work that he does. I see how he does collaborate. I see how he does work with other organizations and, you know, work from top to bottom. One of the answers that I love what he was saying is, you know, we need, we absolutely need to do the grassroots. We actually need to work at that level, but we also need top-down, you know, solutions as well. And, and to, to recognize that and to realize that, I think that it's important. We, we too often, are in a society that likes to say, oh, the way we're doing it is the right way and kind of bash the other side and have this, you know, cancel culture or have division or have a, we're doing it the right way. We're doing it the better way. The small church is better than the big church or the big church is better than the small church rather than knowing that, you know what, it's a both. And we both have great things to bring to the table. And yes, there are bad organizations in both of those camps too. And there are great organizations in both of those camps. And how can we, 
you know, the four questions that I love talking about are, you know, what is, what is wrong? What is confused? What is good? Which we usually don't focus on and what is missing, right? Like we, we love to look at what is wrong and we love to look at what is confused and we love to look at what is missing, but we don't like to focus on what is good. And I think I heard a lot of that in this interview is that what is good and how can we capitalize on those things? And yes, focus on those other things too. But I think even if we start with what is good, it helps us to understand these other things better. And it helps us to understand the solutions and the, you know, that, 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 what are those other things that aren't so great? Well, you need a good, you need a right, you need a, an excellence, you need an ideal, you need these, these, you know, shalom to go for before you can answer those other questions. Well, and I heard a lot of that in this interview. Yeah, absolutely. No. And, and, and I love the way that you frame that as well. You know, one of the things that kind of sticks out to me about Jonathan and, and his team, um, you know, they're really in, in a fledgling, they're not just a, like a fledgling organization or anything like that. And, and they've had the data for the last couple of years to be like, wow, okay, they're really affecting change, mm -hmm. but they're operating in a space that is fledgling. Yeah. There's not a lot of organizations that are saying, we're going to hang out in this gap between two systems, you know, uh, this care reform space. There's not a lot of organizations that are saying we exist to help other organizations uh, transition to family care or to uh, improve their practice or to shore up their child protection or, you know, and that's really the space that they operate in. And it's not just their social work team, which they have such an excellent social work team that's going out and, and helping other organizations do better. Um, but they're doing things that are unique in like they have a tech development team. Like, you know, you don't see that too much, you, you know, when some, when an OVC organization, um, wants to develop technology, they'll outsource that, or, you know, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll get, they'll get, you know, an independent contractor to build that out, but they actually have those guys just in house. So just the, uh, we didn't get into it as much. We talked a little bit more in our last episode with Ian Forber Pratt about innovation, but um, it's really, they, they have that as well. They have that innovation piece at ways of care solutions um, and highly collaborative. They just hit so many of the, of the different markers that we really enjoyed talking about uh, on this podcast and, and how those things, innovation, collaboration, and so forth apply to the child welfare space. Um, so I just think they're excellent. And, and, and the fact that, that this is a team, you know, we talked with Jonathan, he's the American but him and Andrea are the only Americans, right? We're talking two dozen Kenyans that are really leading and, and are doing that frontline work. And, um, and, and not only on the social work side, but also in these other media technology and, and other fronts as well. So um, I just love their scope of work. Um, I love the impact that they're having. And, and just, again, the humility that not only Jonathan leads out with, but is really true um, throughout the whole team at Weza. So, yeah, um, yeah just great, great interview. Uh, sure. Just just love, love everything that Jonathan was talking with us about. Yeah. And the other thing that I, I didn't really touch on earlier that that came out there, too. I mean, the one thing you just said, which is I always love organizations because we're one of them do, but that are really not seeking the glory. They're not seeking the limelight. They're not seeking the center stage. They're actually exist to help others to flourish, to boost others up, to be, you know, 1 million homes also doing a lot of this. It's, it's not out there going, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing. The fingerprints are on a lot of different things, but most people will never know that they were ever involved. And I think that that's something that, 
these connector collaboration hub type organizations are going to be more and more critical. They've always been critical, but I think as we are in this messy middle of transitioning between paradigms, really mindset shift, whatever you want to call it, um, these connecting organizations are going to be more and more critical. And I'm seeing that. And I, I, I love being a part of it. I love being able to, to do it. And, you know, it's hard to, hard to raise funds for that, honestly. So if you're listening to this and you're looking to give money to something, um, there's some organizations who are doing some great stuff that you'll never hear about and they won't make great slideshows and it'll be hard to market, um, that are doing things that are massively important. Um, and a lot of the stuff that you, that we see will never get done if there's not these people behind the scenes doing the stuff that's critical. I mean, think of it like the people doing lighting and sets for musicals, right? They don't get a lot of credit, you know, the kit man on the soccer team, they don't get a lot of credit, but, but games don't get played without these people The the show doesn't go on without these people. And I feel like, you know, what, what Jonathan's doing behind the scenes, both in his organization, as well as their organization um is is really really important and um so that's something that that i think is is really important for us to see and know and and remember as well as we're as we're doing these different things yeah. so um and, and i would just say you know the role that they're playing as kind of that um background organization supporting care reform you know within kenya there's a lot, and and Jonathan alluded to this as well. There's a lot of organizations pulling levers in Kenya right now. Yeah. And when we talk about that, um, you know, if we were to apply the two loops model more broadly, most countries in Africa, or at least sub-Saharan Africa, and a lot of other places around the world, um, they're still primarily operating on that older loop um, that is um, an over reliance on residential care, um, but. Kenya has an opportunity to really be an interesting case study and in, and in some ways a better case study than what we saw in Rwanda. And it takes organizations like Ways of Care Solutions, um, but it also takes organizations like Changing the Way We Care. You know, when we were, when we were at uh, Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit a, a couple of weeks ago, um, we got to sit down with, with Beth Bradford, who's their technical director, wonderful woman uh, doing important work and different work. And for, for us to sit down with her and just to say, hey, we need each other. You know, we need uh, organizations like Weza that are working at the bottom and organizations like Changing the Way We Care that are, that are working with the government and helping with some of that policy reform. Um, we have to do this together. We have to do this through collaboration. And we have to be humble, um, recognizing that all of our approaches are going to be necessary to really affect the change that's hopefully going to lead kids to safely uh, returning to family or going into alternative family if that's what's necessary. So um, yeah, anyways, uh, I think people yeah. can keep their eyes on Kenya because it'll be interesting. I know we had Ruth earlier on in the in this season and we've looked at Kenya a few different times, but that'll be an interesting country to uh, keep an eye on. Yeah, hopefully we'll be able to be keeping our eyes on a lot of different countries, right? Because there's going to be amazing work going on in a lot of different places. And I really feel that we're on the precipice of something. But I also feel that the we're it's not just going to be like we're on the precipice and then boom, it's done. No, this stuff is tough. It's it's trudging through. It's like the messy middle is going to be, I think, a pretty long middle um, that we're going to be having a lot of work. That's going to be a lot of conversations to 
to educate people, educate ourselves more about the different places that we're going into and, you know, to know how much is being poured into one country um, here with Kenya. I mean, a lot of other countries too, but in this and to see how difficult it is and how slow it is and how it's a process. And we need to remember that as we're going through this stuff. So, all right, man. Well, we could go on. I mean, we could talk about this for days and, and you know, but we're not gonna, we're gonna go now to the Dr. Brandon. Um, again, your doctor in my book, uh, recommends section. Um, and, uh, you know, we recommended a couple of things beginning the, the, the road trip, uh, idea that I Mount Hermon family camps, men's retreats, women's retreat, couples retreats, all that stuff that they do is amazing. Um, but you, I know you have another recommendation for us, so, uh, bring it to us. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and it kind of builds on what we were talking about at the forefront. Um, so the recommendation today, and we've actually had, uh, this author on, but that's a Jen hook. Um, I recently finished her book, which is called Replanted. That's the name of her ministry as well. Um, and, you know, for those people, not everybody can go on road trip. Uh, not everybody can. And, and even if you do, you know, get those kind of getaways with people that you can connect with that are foster adoptive parents or, um, or engaged in the same type of ministry or work as you, even if you get those, those are just kind of a one weekend a year type of deal, right? Um, but uh, I recently finished Replanted, the book by Jen Hook. It is the recommendation. Um, she really lays out, um, you know, what it looks like to, to develop those types of communities and also the ways that churches can be that type of community for foster and adoptive parents. Um, by the time that this releases, we will have just come out of the replanted conference there uh, in, in the greater Chicago area. Um, so if you guys have been able to be a part of that, um, you know, they just do such great work that Jen leads out on. And they also have, you know, replanted groups that, that people can be a part of if they're looking for that. But, um, but her book was just uh, such an encouragement, um, similar to a lot of the conversations I was able to have on road trip, um, where you're talking with other dads that have had similar experiences or even gnarlier experiences than you. Um, you know, there's a lot of that within Jen's book as well. So especially for foster adoptive and kinship families, uh, that's, that's a great recommendation. Um, and, and check out check out what Jen is doing at replanted ministry, because, um, it's, a it's, it's an important work, you know, if we're really going to not only recruit foster and adoptive parents for kids that are in need, but, um, actually build them up and encourage them and, and help them, uh, remain in that work, which is, which is really holy work. So, uh, yeah, recommendation replanted book by Jen hook, uh, also written with her husband and our buddy, Mike Berry. So that's two references to, to our friend Mike today. So, uh, but yeah, that's a recommendation. Yep. Well, you know, that's, uh, if you want to listen to the conversation that, uh, Rick and I got to have with, uh, Jen, um, it's episode, we just re recast it. Actually, I just went and mm -hmm. went and looked, uh, 173 episode 173. Um, if you want to listen to the original, which is the exact same recording, but it's 134, but that's a whole different uh, thing. Um, so great great conversation that I got to have with her and, and, uh, really appreciate that book as well. It, it is a, it's a really good one. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a part of this conversation, folks. Thank you for your download. Thank you for, um, just all you're doing. I have no doubt if you're listening to this, you're doing some great stuff. Um, and I just encourage you to learn 
as we talked about today, to encourage you to have that humble posture. Um, connect with us, uh, info at thinkorphan.com. Connect with us on Facebook. Um, there are different ways to uh, connect with us as well, but also rate and review the show. Most importantly, the thing that you can do to share this is, um, well, not most importantly, but it's pretty important. If you want, if you, this is helping you, share it with your friends. You know, share it with people who you know who will be encouraged by this, who inspired, challenged by this. If people are doing this type of work, if you're missions pastors, different people who just really need to hear these conversations, so they can learn more and be able to do the work that they're doing better. Um, I just pray that you do that um, because that's how we're going to get this out. You can also rate and review and do all those things that we talked about in the past. But the most important thing to get this out is you sharing it um, uh, with, with those that you know and love. And uh, the, the most important thing is that you're taking what you're learning and you're using it to help you love orphaned and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple of weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.